You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Hello, Salem Tabernacle. This is Pastor Bill Dandriano. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Today, January 10th, prior to the sermon, our worship leader, Stephanie, during the worship service, had a powerful and prophetic message. We would like to play that for you as it does lead into the sermon and it affected the sermon. Please be blessed as you listen. I want to share something that I had to go through personally this week in hopes that it will encourage anyone listening. Um, It wasn't until last week that I was actually able to sit in the presence of God and surrender. And what I thought surrendering meant was I do, I follow the law. I follow the things that you asked me to do. I do good to people. I'm kind. I'm generous. Those types of things. What I thought was surrendering was was merely that. But it was deeper than that. I was talking to God and I was asking him, okay, God, what you are telling me surrendering means is to surrender to the will that you have for my life, is to let go of what I think life should be like, of let go of what my expectations are for my future, to let go of what I think my family should look like. Let go of what I think my work situation should look like. And I surrender. And it was the most freeing thing that I ever did. I surrender. (laughs) But I asked him, if if I surrender, why does the ambitions, the dreams, the plans that I have for myself have to die too. (laughs) Why can't I bring them with me? And he told me, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other. And the reason why the things that you hope for don't seem like they're in arm's reach to you is because my goal is to preserve your soul. Those things that you wish to feed your, 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 your soul are actually feeding your flesh. They're feeding the things on the outside that you want. They're feeding the desires that the world has for, for you. But what I have is deeper than that. I have, I have to preserve your soul. And I can only preserve your soul if I put you in a place where you're not arms reach to the things that you desire, the things that you crave after, the things that you wish you had. Because then and only then you will know that you didn't need those things. What you need is right in front of you. What I'm trying to preserve is eternal, not temporal. And what you're desiring are things that are temporal. What I desire for you are things that are eternal. So the reason why you feel so far from the things you want is because I need to empty you 
so that I can fill you with the desires that I have for you. And they may not align with the desires you have, but my command to you is to take up your cross and follow me. It's not going to be easy because it's going to cause you to war with that very thing that you see every day. That flesh that you see is going to cause you to war with it. But trust me, trust me, follow me. And I promise you that the things that I'm giving you will last forever. So today I want to encourage everyone to free yourself by saying, I surrender. To free yourself by saying, God, my will doesn't look, my will and my plan, I thought it looked like yours, but it doesn't anymore. But lead me and guide me into the things that are true. Lead me and guide me into the things that are eternal. If that means I have to sacrifice the things that I want now for the glory that is to come, come what may, I will do so. The songwriter said, when peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Not it is well with my flesh. It is well with my soul. So God is promising us that we are going to go through trials. We are going to go through things that feel like they hurt, that they're, they're, they're painful. They're not things that we wish to go through. But he is preserving your soul. He said to say, it is well with my soul. So today, command your soul to bless the Lord because he's taking you in a direction that will not fail you. He's taking you in a direction that is sturdy, that will not be pulled out from under you. Hallelujah. So the song we're about to sing is called Lion of Judah. And it's basically saying, God, come forth and lead me. Lead me into the things you have for me. Lead me into your will. I need your spirit or else I won't be able to follow you. So give me your spirit as well so I can follow you. Come forth and take me in. I surrender to your will. Let this be the declaration of our hearts this morning. Would everybody please stand in the room and at home as we read the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Today is baptism of our Lord Sunday. It's why the cross is white, because we celebrate the cleansing that comes from the water of baptism. Today's the day that we talk about when John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And John preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. We're still in the series, and we got a long way to go, strengthen our hands and we've talked about God strengthening our hands in waiting during Advent. The labor and the service of waiting. Has anybody ever had a comment that you wanted to give to another person? Waiting is sometimes a way to love somebody. 
Waiting is sometimes a way to say, I wanted to say something to you, but I love you, so I'm going to wait and make sure this is the right thing to say. Has somebody ever wanted to not have to say something that you should say? And on and on we go. The Lord strengthens our hands in waiting. And those are small things, but we're also waiting for a pandemic to go away. We're also waiting for justice to come in the country. We're also waiting for the church collectively to wake up and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the captives and opening of sight to the blind. Like This is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. And as we wait, as we go through the pain of waiting, our hands strengthen because we can serve people who are waiting. When we develop the strength to wait, we can offer that strength for other people to wait in many, many different forms of waiting. We talked about during the Christmas season how God strengthens our hands in surprise. It strengthens our ability to serve when we see God show up in the mundane, boring parts of our life. As we said last week, John finds jokes brushing his teeth When you're that present to mundane tasks, the spirit, as funny as that is, the spirit of God is alive and well. When you can pay attention to the little things that pop up in life that make you laugh. We just got uh, the, the, the Echo Alexa thing where you can just bark out commands and, and the, the technology puts things on. Alexa, Christmas music, and bang, I got Bing Crosby in my ear. Well, you can do shopping lists with Alexa. And which is, is, is very convenient until your four-year-old learns that she can put stuff on there. And Sophia, she apparently put on Jacqueline's shopping list Elsa and Anna hiccups, which we think she meant waffles. And we laugh about it because you just look at the shopping list and there's all of these toys on there and all of them are said in very funny ways. And you stop for a moment and you laugh and you realize this is not just something funny. This is a chance where God is saying, pause for a second and just laugh at the beauty of innocence and then go on your merry way. He strengthens our hands by surprising us. If we don't see God in the boring part of our life, you ready, Salem? We will have to work way too hard to create visions of grandeur and find God in these big, elaborate, created things, and we will exhaust ourselves, we will live disappointed, and we will live angry at people for thwarting our big events. Today... I want to talk about how God strengthens our hands in revelation. Maybe one of the most important realities of walking with the Lord is receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ in many different ways. A moment, like Stephanie was saying, where she was thinking about surrender and she was working through all of the typical ways that we've taught surrender to be, and then all of a sudden, a new thought, a revelation pops into her head and it clarifies so much. That's what we need to be walking in, to serve. If we can't see Jesus in new and creating ways, then we won't be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. If Jesus is always the Jesus we knew and never the Jesus who's revealing himself new again, we will only have the memories of being able to love our neighbor as ourselves, but lose touch with it in the present. So we need the Lord to strengthen our hands and surprise. It's called the season of epiphany. 
It's when God strengthens our hands to serve by revealing Jesus to us in brand new ways. So this moment of John baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan, this is the beginning of epiphany. This is the beginning of the ultimate surprise. This is the beginning of what is called the scandalon or the scandal of the gospel. This is the beginning of realizing that power isn't what we thought it was. This is the beginning of realizing that ruling and reigning isn't what we thought it was. This is the beginning of God taking the hourglass of everything we thought was normal and flipping it upside down and saying, everything you thought, do the opposite. I'm reminded of that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza finally says, I have such bad luck dating, I'm going to do the opposite of everything that comes naturally to me, and then all of a sudden he got all these girlfriends. Also, that's a terrible example because it doesn't work like that, but it was just a funny example, so take it for whatever. Also, Seinfeld is funny. Okay, where am I in my notes? Doreen, where am I in my notes? Ah, that's right, Seinfeld. That wasn't in there, though, unfortunately. Jesus comes to John in a way, listen to me, I want everybody to hear this. Jesus comes to John in a way that surprises John, who's been called to tell people who Jesus is. Please understand this. When Jesus says to John, I want to, you're going to baptize me, John says, what are you talking about? But I need everybody to hear this. John's whole life was anointed and raised to be the kind of person who can tell other people about Jesus. And so the one who has the sole vocation to tell others about Jesus, who has studied the prophets, who's living after the manner of Elijah himself, who is embodying the end of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the one whose very blood would bleed Old Testament prophecies, This one who knows everything that the Bible has ever said about the Messiah is now standing in front of Jesus. He's at the apex of his life. He's at the climax of everything that he was ever born to do. And he says, what are you talking about? That's the kind of life I want us to live at Salem. The kind of life where we can know so much about Jesus and yet still be surprised by him and say, what are you, what? Huh? Now? Me? Them? This? Here? That much? John's life was to know the Messiah. And the first time Jesus interacts with him, John doesn't know what he's doing. God help us if we think Jesus is predictable. God help us if we have a verse for that and so we know everything he's going to do. God help the church. We're a walking corpse. We're mummies. We're zombies. It's the walking dead at that point. What makes us alive, what makes us alive is the surprise of God. What makes any of our lives worth living is surprise. If you really think about it, surprise is like breathing. Surprise is the thing that wakes us all up. You might say, well, that's not true. But if you ever looked outside and said, man, that sunset is pretty, that's a surprise. 
because you already know they're pretty, but for some reason this one, even though you knew it was going to be pretty, was pretty again, and it got your attention again, which is a surprise. John is baffled. What do you mean I'm going to baptize you? My whole life was spent knowing you're going to baptize me. Why am I dunking you? And Jesus is like, just do it. Just do it. It'll be fine. So how does this start? Number one, John says, after me comes one. I'm going to baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. After me comes somebody who is going to finish the work that I'm doing. I'm saying this right now because I feel like this is going to be bland, but this could be life-changing if you hear it. You ready? Let's not live our life believing that we are the game-changers of our own life. We're not the game-changers in our marriage. We're not the game-changers in our kids' lives. We're not the game-changers in our jobs, in our promotions. We are not the game-changers in our careers. We're not the game-changers in confrontations. We are not the game-changers. We are living our lives to point to the one who's the game-changer. John, in all of this powerful Elijah-esque vocation, can stand there and say, I'm doing all of this, but there's one who is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and take his sandal off his, his feet. Sandal off his shoe, I almost said. That would make no sense. Imagine being able to live your life as a parent knowing I'm going to do my best, but my children need to know there is one coming who's mightier than I am. What if our friends knew? What if our family knew? What if our siblings knew? What if those around us knew? I love you and I will do everything for you, but there's a point where I'm going to run out and he's going to run in. If you can live that way, you can be free in your serving. If you live that way, you can be free from the fear of failing. You can be free from the fear of success and then having to maintain that success, which could be one of the greatest fears of all time, is actually hitting a pinnacle. It took you 20 years to get there. You hit it. Now you got to maintain it. Otherwise, life is disappointing. That's when we start to use people. But when you can say in your craft, in your art, in your profession, in your words, in your parenting, in your spousing, in, in your childing, in all of these areas of our life, when you can say, I'm going to give you my best, but there's one coming who's going to be better than that, you can be free. Because if you succeed, you don't have to keep that up because Jesus is better than that. And if you fail, you don't have to be demoralized because there's one coming who's going to pick all this mess back up again and heal it. That's why John is considered the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. That's why he's such a good Old Testament prophet that he shows up in the New Testament. Because he's the one who stands in front of Jesus after all of them. He stands in front of Jesus and says, I stand on the authority of every prophecy about you, and it's still not enough. You're going to do greater things than that. I want my friends to know I love you, but I want that love to tell you that there's somebody coming who's going to love you more than that. I want my daughter to know mommy and daddy are going to do our best, but there's somebody coming who's going to love you better than that. I want Jacqueline to know I'm going to do my best to love you 
and repent for the ways that I don't, but please, in both circumstances, know there's somebody coming who's going to love you better than that. That way, my success and my repenting can both point to that one. I'll give everybody a chance to stop running around the room with handkerchiefs and cheering about everything that was just said. Everybody, sit down for a second. What does he say? I also want somebody, can we just say a disclaimer? I don't want to keep saying this. I want everybody to hear everything I'm saying. I don't want to have to keep saying it, but I'm going to for flair and drama. But I'm still, I don't, you know, I don't need to. But I want everybody to hear this, so listen. John says, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I really want you to hear this. God, but I do. Because what does John have? All John has is water. That's all he has. That's what God gave him. God gave him water, and he said, I'm going to give you what I have, world Family, friends, children, job. I'm going to give you what I have. I have water, but there's somebody coming after me who has something better than that. What is Noah had a hammer and some nails. God said, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm, God, I'm going to give you my hammer and my nails, and I'm going to give you an ark, but you got to do something better with it. Moses says, I don't know how to go to Pharaoh. How am I going to go to the most ruthless dictator in the land at the time? How am I going to go to him with what? And God says, what's in your hand? And he says, a staff. And God says, take that. Moses had a staff. Noah had a hammer and some nails. David had a sling. Well, we got a giant that has armor and tanks and guns, well, I got a sling, and I'm going to give you, God, I'm going to give you my sling, and I'm going to give you the best talent I have with my sling, and that's what I'm going to offer to you, but Goliath, be careful, because there's somebody coming who's got much more than a sling, but David can't get to that point until he offers fully what he has, so if we're all bent out of shape about what we don't have or what we used to have, God isn't interested in those things. He's just interested in what you have right now. And if you offer that, you'll get to say, but something greater is coming. Some boy stood in a crowd of 5,000 men and said, I have a loaf and two fish. Just offer it. Because God's going to do something better with it. And then I'll say this. I'll conclude this portion with this. Jesus said, I have a cross. Which honestly, at the moment, all right, we have to take down Caesar. Jesus, what weapons do you have? At that point, when compared to a cross, a hammer and some nails would have been better. A staff would have been better. A slingshot would have been better. And some food probably would have been very needed. Because Jesus' cross looks like anything, looks like nothing that can be, what can that be multiplied into except death? How can we wield that? How can we fight with that? How can we compete with that? How can this win? Jesus says, all God gave me was a cross. So I'm going to give it back to him because he's going to do something amazing with it. Spoiler alert, happy Easter, which is coming soon. It's like 68 days away, not that I count down these things, but God get us through the winter. God. I want you to know this morning what you have right now. Some of us are defined by what we want to have that we don't, 
And some of us are defined by what we used to have and we've lost. And God doesn't want to define you by either of those things. What do you have today? Offer it to him. Do your best with it. Make the most out of it. And then you can say, this is what I have. I baptize you in water. But somebody's coming who's going to baptize you in fire. There's yet one more really cool revelation that happens here. How does God act on us? How does he act on us? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to show it. This is scandalous. This is not what we would ever expect. God acts on us by allowing us to act on him. We act on him as the way in which he acts on us. He's so humble, he's so meek, that he lets us act on his life. And as we act on his life, that is his life acting on ours. Example number one, in our success, he completes. In our success, he completes. Let's look at John. John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. John acts on Jesus, and when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit is falling all over everybody. When John acts on Jesus, Jesus is acting on John. When John dunks Jesus, Jesus is dunking John. When Jesus comes up out of the water, John is somehow coming up out of the water. When Jesus sees and hears the Holy Spirit, John sees and hears the Holy Spirit because as John acts on Jesus, Jesus is acting on John. So every time you love, every time you serve, every time you baptize somebody in the love of the gospel, that is what you're doing to Jesus, and in that moment, that is what Jesus is doing to you. And it will turn out that the greatest thing Jesus ever did for you was let you do that good thing for somebody else. And that becomes the good thing that Jesus does for us. Well, that's all well and good, Pastor, but I don't know. Maybe you're so perfect, Pastor Bill. True. But sometimes I don't do the right thing to other people. Me neither sometimes. But watch this. In our success, he completes. He completes our success. When you do something right, he does something to the thing you did right that makes it writerist. He makes it more writeristist. He makes it better. There's at least one person out there who really thought I said that like on purpose. And it's like, man, I don't know if I want to watch him anymore. He doesn't know how to a speaker right. <laughs> you know, Paul made that joke a long time ago to his brother Mike, and I've found it funny ever since and just got to make it. Okay. Anyway. Back, back to reality. In our success, he completes. But watch this. In our sin, he covers. Here's another story from the gospel. Luke chapter 22. This is when Peter denies Jesus. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And look at this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. This is one of the worst moments in the Bible where Peter's like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. I saw you with Jesus. No, you didn't. You sound like you've been with Jesus, which is a wonderful compliment. No, I don't know who you're talking about. And then the rooster crows, and Peter's like, oh, my gosh. He told me I was going to die him three times. And he turns around, and there's Jesus Hands behind his back, handcuffs on, bleeding out of his face, staring right at Peter. But why is Jesus cuffed and bleeding out of his face and headed into Pilate's headquarters? Because he's covering Peter. When John acts on Jesus... Our successes that we give to others are also us acting on Christ. When we sin against others, we act on Jesus. When I sin against my family, when I sin against my friends, when I sin in my life, Jesus becomes a participant in who I'm sinning against. But he becomes the kind of participant that takes that bad moment and says, you did deny me three times, but I'm heading into Pilate's headquarters. I'm going to be sentenced to death. And when I wake up on the third day, we're going to redeem these three denials. So when you succeed, Christ completes it. We can't walk in the joy of our own success without him. When we succeed, Christ comes and he makes our success betterest more betterest. When we sin, he becomes a heartbreaking participant in our sin. But he's the only person that we can sin against that can take our sin where it needs to go and cover it and do something with it and change our heart in the covering of it. So on the one hand, I wish that Jesus was never a participant in my sin. But on the other hand, I'm so grateful that he chose to be because it's what heals and redeems. So if you've sinned against others, if you're standing here in this moment of life saying, I could have been a better parent, I could have made better decisions, time has robbed me of the ability to go back Jesus was there, your sin acted on him, but he did something with your sin that the people you sinned against could never possibly do. And he's redeeming it, and listen to me, he's redeeming it in such a way where even though you've passed the moment, he will give you opportunities for healing. What you can't touch in the past, he will always give you ways to mend it, either in this life or the next, but he will, he will. And finally, well, pastor, it's, I'm not just succeeding or failing. What if just I'm broken because of things that have happened to me? And not even sin, just stuff, just life. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm just exhausted. No more traction left on the tire. I just can't move anymore through life. I'm just exhausted with this. I'm tired of this. 
In our success, he completes. In our sin, he covers. And in our sorrow, he comforts. But I want you to see how. I want you to see how. Luke 24. This is when two disciples have left Jerusalem after Good Friday saying, everything we hoped for was just murdered on a cross. So they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from their destiny. They're walking away from their purpose. They're walking away from where they're supposed to be. And says this, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Now Jesus has just joined them on the road, but they didn't know that Jesus joined them on the road. So they're explaining to Jesus everything that happened which if you just want a little bit of comic relief, Jesus is probably hiding his hands so they don't see the holes in them. And Jesus is like, tell me more about this person that you thought was dead. Ouch, that sounds like it was really bad. What else did he say? And if I was Jesus, I would have been like, was he a good preacher? What'd you think about his sermons? And if they were like, well, they were mediocre, I would have been like, well, keep going away from Jerusalem, then I'm leaving. No, I'm just kidding. They explain to Jesus everything about Jesus. Do you see this? He becomes a participant in everything we do. Jesus even becomes the one who we give our explanations about Jesus to. But more importantly, watch this. They're walking away from Jesus. They're on the road out of Jerusalem. Listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus joins us on the road away from him. This is good news. Jesus joins us on the road away from him. Have we heard this old school, you're backsliding? Here's the thing. When I backslide, Jesus backslides with me. He's always on the road I'm on. He's on the road toward him. He's on the road in him. And he's also on the road away from him. David said it like this. If I make my bed in hell or if I make my bed in heaven, I cannot get away from you, stalker Jesus. And watch what it says. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. The village to which they were going. They got to the end of the line of their forsaking him. They got to the end of the line of them going away from him. And it says this. So when they drew near to the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Jesus was saying, I'll go with you if you want to keep going in the wrong direction. I'll keep moving with you. Let's not stop here. Let's go all the way to rock bottom together. They urged him. Now Jesus is going more in the wrong direction than they were going. Jesus just kept on going. Like, Jesus, come back. Let's not be monsters here. Like, come back. They need to get Jesus to come back because Jesus was so intent on going all the way the wrong way. The teachings on Holy Saturday would say this. He went all the way to hell and showed people there that even they can't get away from him. But here's the peculiar part. Stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to them. Watch this. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. One of the ways that God reveals himself to us is by disappearing. 
Too many books have been written, too many sermons given on what happens when you can't find him or see him. And every one of them is, he didn't disappear, there's something wrong with you. There's even a book called Practicing the Presence of God. There's another book out there called Practicing the Absence of God. And they're both the same thing. They recognized him, and he disappeared. One of the ways that Jesus gets people to turn around, buckle up, kids. He doesn't coerce them. He doesn't yell at them. He disappears and gives them the space and the freedom to contemplate their encounter with him. Maybe you feel like the presence of God has disappeared from your life. Maybe the presence of God is now so evident in your life that it exists in a reality that you're not used to, and it feels like he's disappeared. But there's something about his disappearing that brought them back. You ready? There's something about the prodigal son's father who, because the father didn't go to the pigsty, the son in the pigsty had the freedom to come back to the father. There's something about God withdrawing himself that pulls us, like gravity, it pulls us to the place where he went. This is now beyond my capacity to be able to explain. But what encouraged me here is there's been moments where I'm like, God, you know, I feel like I'm just functioning. I'm doing, I have my Bible, I have my devotional, I have my prayer routines, I have my practices, but I just, I feel like I can't find you. And then when I read this, I thought, my goodness, one of the ways he reveals himself is by withdrawing himself. And that withdrawing pulls you to where he went. They turned around and they went back to Jerusalem. And here's the funny thing. When they went back to Jerusalem, there were people in an upper room in John 20 who said, hey, we just saw Jesus. Which is kind of amazing because when you line up the timing, the people on the road to Emmaus, seven days away from Jerusalem, were having an encounter in some little inn with Jesus at the same time the disciples had Jesus showing up in the upper room. So sometimes he reveals himself by showing up through the doors that you've locked, and sometimes he reveals himself by disappearing. Why? Because he doesn't want to be the Jesus you want him to be. He wants to be the Jesus that you need him to be. And sometimes the Jesus that you're hoping to see will disappear so that you can be brought into the Jesus who is. None of this is functional, what I'm talking about today. None of this is functional. This is what we call spiritual or mystical. It's just me telling you what Jesus does. When you succeed, you succeed on him. 
and he brings completion to your success. You're not the game changer he is. When you sin, you sin on him. And when you sin on him, he knows what to do with it, and he redeems that sin. When you're sorrowful and broken and slowly drifting away, ever so slowly, kind of like when you're out in the ocean and you're having a good time and you realize now you're 19 lifeguards down, like where is our tent? You're eight and a half miles down, and now you got to walk back, right? Like when this happens, you're just slowly drifting, and all of a sudden, he disappears. And when he disappears, he takes with him all of the false impressions of who you thought he was. And what are you left with? You want to hear something crazy? Here's what they were left with. He broke bread, and he put the bread on the table. But he never ate it. He disappeared before they ate the bread. So Christ at the table disappears. Now all you have left is Christ on the table. And those two broken pieces of bread. And for the next 2,000 years, the church stands in front of that bread and says, sometimes you show up and sometimes you disappear. You never show up the way that we expected you to, and you never disappear the way we would have thought you would. So we're just going to keep coming back to this table, and we're going to keep coming back to this table, saying Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. What is the point of this message? I'll give you one thing. The whole point of this message is when you serve others, don't bring a cataloged system of what to say or do into their life. I'm not just harping on it because I'm trying to gas Stephanie up or anything. I'm saying this because what she said was so true today. When Stephanie got the revelation of what surrender is, it came at the end of her trying to list all the things that she thought surrender was that it wasn't. She got out all of the, okay, God, so you want me to do this? No. So you want me to do that? No. So are I supposed to do this? No. And when she got all of it out, Your soul, not your flesh, is the word he spoke. And then she concludes it with, it is well with my soul. She got there by emptying everything she thought it was. So the next next situation that you need to approach, it might be sorrowful, it might be tragic, it might be joyful, it might be celebratory. Understand that Jesus is not somebody watching you saying, I hope you get it right. He's the person in the situation that you're serving. And if you get it right, he'll complete it. If you get it wrong, he'll cover it. And if it breaks your heart, he'll disappear in a way where you'll find him. And that doesn't make very much sense. And here begins the end of our sermon. So what do we do? What do we do? We go to the place where he doesn't make any sense. Of all the things, he gives us a meal. You've heard me say it before. Adam and Eve destroyed the world because they misused a meal. And Jesus gives us a meal back and says, now you can come to the tree of life. What does it say? When Adam and Eve sin, it says their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. Genesis 3. 
But what does it say? I just realized this when I read it before. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. But watch this. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they didn't see themselves. They recognized him. The healing of the eyes from Genesis 3. When we come to this table, our eyes go from focusing on our own nakedness, our own lack, our own greed, and we recognize him. Well, where will we recognize him? In the next person that you see and in the next situation that you face. So Holy Spirit, it was on the night when you were betrayed. that you filled our Lord Jesus with your presence. And he stood up and hovered over a meal that we had been eating for a thousand years. And he said, this bread is now my body. And it's broken for you. As often as you come to this table, come to remember me. Have your eyes open so that you stop looking at yourself and you can recognize me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me and your eyes will be open. And you will stop looking at yourself. And you'll recognize me. And as the great Catholic mystic Thomas Merton said, when we recognize Jesus, we finally recognize ourselves. Until we recognize Jesus, we've never even known what we look like. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would hover over this meal. And make it for your people the body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. And hover over us also right now. Forgive us of our sins for what we've done and for what we've left undone. Forgive us of our sins. And make us for the world the body of Christ, the church. That we may leave this moment and say, this is my life offered for you. Salem, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Would you partake with me this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.